Welcome to the People of Packaging podcast, where we introduce people to the world of packaging and the people of packaging to the world. Here are your hosts, Adam Peek and Ted Tate. All right, before we get to this interview with Brian Sanner from Starkey Spring Water, a couple of reminders. Number one, as always with season three, we've had an incredible sponsor, Doxalent, who has an insure packaging specification management software. And you can go get your free ebook. It's free information, first name, last name, email address. Uh, it supports the podcast. It helps you level up your packaging knowledge. And here's the deal. Between today and the end of April in 2021, for every download of that ebook, we are helping to support a nonprofit that is near and dear to our previous guest, Corey Connors Hart, which is Candle Lighters for Children with Cancer. So please go to peopleofpackaging.com. It means a ton for the podcast, and it means a lot to helping out children with cancer. And, and you will also benefit as getting some incredible knowledge. So www.peopleofpackaging.com. You can also go to www.packaging.tips uh, and, and sign up for your daily packaging industry newsletter. We here at the podcast are huge supporters of what's happening over there. Those are a couple of things that you can do. And now you can listen to an interview uh, that I got to do with Brian, where we talk about packaging and branding and sales and what role does packaging have when it comes to uh, the spring water from Starkey. So I hope you really enjoy it. Thanks. All right. Well, I am uh, thankful to be joined by a somebody who is in one of my favorite states in the uh, United States. I've been to many of them, maybe 41, but I'm from uh, the state of Colorado. And so I'm sure we're going to get into it. If you don't want to hear two people uh, just, you know, exuding joy over the state of Colorado, maybe you can hit you can turn this off. But um, I'm joined by Brian Sanner. Uh, and Brian is the national sales manager for Starkey Water. Did I get all of that correct, Brian? Yes. Yes, you did. All right. Uh, do you enjoy long walks on the beach? Yes or no? Uh, yes. Yes, I do, Adam. Oh, perfect. Uh, and and you're, in, you're in Denver, Colorado. So uh, outside of your name, your title, and where you currently live, there, there's so much more about people. So maybe just a brief introduction on... Uh, yourself. And I want to talk about Starkey and the role of packaging and some decision making from a sales and marketing standpoint. So we're going to get into all that. But, um, you know, human beings are unique and diverse and special and cool. And it's one of my favorite things to to ask questions around. So uh, somebody says, who is Brian Sanner? You say, how how do you answer that? What's your background? And how'd you get into this role? Yeah, well, great question. Um, well, first, one thing, uh, we are both from uh, Colorado, which is really cool. Uh, but to specify for the uh, the listeners here, Starkey, the spring is located in the beautiful state of Idaho. 
So it's kind of like the untouched land of, of Colorado, you know, it's got the mountain streams and everything, but a lot less people. So it's beautiful, beautiful up there. Um, but yes, my name is Brian Sanner. I am the national sales manager for Starkey Springwater. Um, I guess a little bit background on me is I, I grew up primarily in Baton Rouge, Louisiana as a kid. And um, I, why I think it's a little bit relevant for our conversation is that when we're talking about sustainability and environmental impacts, in particular on packaging, where I grew up, um, and hopefully no listener will beat me up for this, but where I grew up, there wasn't as much focus um, on sustainability and environmental practices in Louisiana. I mean, I did recycle as a, as a kid, our family did, but, but it wasn't, I didn't really have the full spectrum um, of, of how, our, how we impact the planet. I, I came up to University of Colorado Boulder in 2003 uh, to study. And that's where I kind of saw a different shift in culture and, and how people appreciate the uh, environment at a deeper level and uh, making more conscious decision-making um, so after a couple of years of going to University of Colorado, I needed a college job. Um, so I started working for Whole Foods Market and I believe Whole Foods Market really set me on the trajectory where I am today. Um, I learned, I was in the culinary side, which was a wonderful experience. But in that process, I learned a lot about sustainable sourcing of products, sustainable uh, growing of, you know, you know, everything from from produce to sustainable um, agriculture. Uh, uh, and um, I think that the cool thing about Whole Foods is that I had never up to that point gone to the back of a place of business and had to choose between compost, recycling, trash, and, and make those conscious decisions to, to lower impact. So from, from working for Whole Foods, I moved over to Allegro Coffee Company. And Allegro Coffee... Um, has some of the best sourcing practices uh, in the world, in, in my mind, um, for, for purchasing coffee and farm relations and the give backs. And, and we, we go, Allegro would go above and beyond in uh, working with, with, with finding coffees that are Rainforest Alliance coffees or, or Smithsonian Bird, in, Bird Institute as well. And things that can really kind of uh, grow coffee on a sustainable matter was, was a backbone for, for Allegro. Um, when you look at coffee, coffee is 98.8% water. <laughs> and right. so um, over time, I, uh, I was lucky enough to actually visit, uh, was up in Idaho and got to visit the source of Starkey. And I fell in love with, with the environment that Starkey's in, with, with the water itself, the story behind it. And that's kind of where my journey with Starkey started about three years ago. And since then, um, I am the national sales manager, but we are very small operation and so we a lot of us wear many hats and we make joint decision making together and so the cool unique thing in my job is that i get to to be involved in in packaging sales logistics marketing a lot of different pieces of it which i've, I've really enjoyed about my job so that's a, a little bit about me and my background that's awesome uh well a couple of things number one in your background i see a snowboard so have you been able to enjoy the uh, the delightful nature of snowboarding in Colorado. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, as personally, I'm a, I'm a big outdoors guy, which I think also ties into some of my beliefs uh, behind the subject we're talking about. And I snowboard a lot in the winter times, and I'm big whitewater rafter in the summer times. Oh, nice, nice. Um, well, if uh, just just for a, a quick plug, so being from Colorado but now living in Salt Lake City, Utah, I can confirm 
uh, this is true. It's just better here than it is yes. in Colorado. Just so you're aware, I'm like 30 minutes away from like world-class skiing at, from my house. Oh, that's yeah. not, that's not happening in Denver. Oh, no, no. And the traffic here has gotten crazy. I'm actually flying to Oregon to go to Mount Bachelor here soon to go. Oh, nice. I'm right up there. So that's going to be fun. Yeah. Nice. Awesome. Um, I, uh, we're, we're going to have uh, either. So the timing on podcasts is a little interesting. Uh, so we record the podcast this isn't live, right? So, but uh, I, I have uh, Jib Hunt, who's the CEO of Kemper Snowboards, um, which is uh, an older brand that's being, you know, kind of retroed and brought back and doing some yeah. cool stuff. So I've got, uh, I've got Jib is going to be on the podcast as well, that's which is awesome. super cool. That's right. Um, yeah, well, that's, that's great to know. And I think you might have said the, the understatement of the, at least the last week, I don't know if I can go with century when you said it was a culture shift to go from Baton Rouge, Louisiana to Boulder, Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Huge, huge. I mean, I'm not making any judgments on which one is better or worse. Uh, I am, I did go to Colorado state. So mm -hmm. I have a, you know, uh, uh, I have a different view of Boulder that I'm yeah, supposed yeah. to have. Like it's been ingrained in me to hate yeah, Boulder. We're rivals. Like it's great. Ish. <laughs> It's kind of rivals, but I mean, if you're from Baton Rouge, you understand like, you know, LSU, Georgia or LSU, Florida, like those are actual rivalries in football. Yeah. Like CU, CSU is not two, two bad and mediocre football teams going at it every year. <laughs> that is quite true. Uh, yeah. At least our vet school is better or something. I don't know. Yeah. Um, that's cool. And, and, you know, super appreciate the. The, the background, uh, super helpful for me to know. So from Baton Rouge to Boulder, to Whole Foods, to Allegro, and now you're at Starkey. Uh, where is the, where is the spring located for Starkey up in Idaho? Yeah. So great question. Um, the spring is in this absolutely gorgeous, um, area of Idaho. It's about two and a half hour drive north of Boise, slightly north, uh, west. It kind of hugs the Hell's Canyon, area, which is the uh, uh, where the Snake River is that runs between Idaho and Oregon as the border. So we are just outside of the Payette National Forest. Um, we were in a very um, sp uh, sparsely populated area. The biggest town in the county is Council, and that's where we do our bottling, and that has a population of 800 people in it. Um, so the only, I think the whole county, and you know, don't quote me on this, but I think it's about 2,900 in the entire county that we are in. So um, very, very beautiful area. We're talking about, it's, it's a mountainous area, um, a lot of farming and agriculture done up there, but very sparsely populated. And um, therefore the rivers and streams, they're just gorgeous up there. I mean, the fishing yeah. and it's just, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. You almost feel like you're going back in time up there a little bit um, because you don't see the kind of the development that I see here in Colorado. It's kind of like the, like I said earlier, the untouched Colorado up there. Definitely. And uh, I don't know if you've been corrected, but I was when I went uh, there for the first time, I was told it's Boise, not Boise. That's what everyone is very yeah. clear with me. They were like, no, 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 this is Boise. And I'm like, okay. Uh, it's kind it, of like the New Orleans versus Nolans, you know, like people <laughs> always give you grief about it. Um, I've heard people say it both ways that even live up there. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's more of to to my team up there in council. Um, 
Boise or, or however you want to pronounce it is looked as as New York City to them because it's it's so populated compared to where they live. Right, right, but, right. So it's it, it whereas I find the Boise, I think it's this cute, beautiful little ta- town. It's growing quickly, uh, extremely yeah. quickly, actually. It's one of the fastest in the country. But yep. but um, but I, I I tend to when I go up there for work, I um I kind of will stop up stock up on some groceries in Boise, head up to council and and uh, do a lot of grilling and stuff up there in nature. It's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I've I've actually never been to. So I haven't been to the council area. I've been to Boise. I've been to the the Pocatello, Idaho Falls, yep. that region, and then also up in like Coeur d'Alene and Sandpoint. And yeah. I mean, Idaho is like, I mean, stunningly beautiful. It's if 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 you've never been, uh, you know, find a reason. I actually went to the Schweitzer. Speaking of snowboarding, I went to Schweitzer up in Sandpoint. Yeah, and some of the just deepest powder. I have ever ridden in my entire life was up there. It was awesome. So it, it's wonderful. And for me, for rafting, it's one of the meccas in, in North America for, for rivers. Uh, I get my boat on there. I apply the permits every year through a lottery system and hope one of us wins a permit to get on. And luckily I've gotten to do many of the multi-day trips in, in Idaho. And, and um, you know, you're talking about gorgeous canyons with hot springs on the shorelines, white sand beaches, clear water. I mean, you just, you can't beat it. Yeah. Yeah, that's so I, I started off saying that we would nerd out about Colorado and here we are talking about how fantastic Idaho is. Yeah. Uh, but it's 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 true. Um, well, let's get into uh, Starkey and I want to I, I want to talk a little bit about packaging. Um, you know, water is is packaged in so many different formats these days, which is interesting because you know, for, for myself, it sounds like we grew up around the same times. Like I went to, I started college in 99, you know, you Mm -hmm. started in 03. So similar in age and, you know, we, we drank, you know, primarily just tap water. Of course I I grew up in Colorado and we had pretty clean water, but just primarily tap water, you know, water fountains and bottled water was like the, the thing for like rich people almost like, you know, that's just sort of how it was viewed. And the water industry to me seems to have, well, not seems to, it has definitively shifted um, away from that to where there, there seems like there are variants of bottled water, just like there are sodas now, you know, it's like, you got to look at, I don't know, you would know that more than I would, right? Like the alkaline content and the pH and the, the, you know, spring water, and this comes from this and this has, so it's, it's. That, that part of it to me is fascinating. The thing that I think is, is more interesting from my perspective is the variations in packaging, mm-hmm. you know, so there's, there's boxed water, there's canned water, there's bottled water in PET, there's bottled water in glass. You've got flip top caps and screw top caps and all sorts of, and then there's bags of water and on and on and on. Oh yeah. Um, so for for a brand like Starkey, I'm sure that all of it is connected. The mm-hmm. branding, who you are, where it's from, how how does packaging sort of play a role? We'll talk about sustainability here in a second, but I want to hone in here on the branding a little bit and your go-to-market strategy for sales. What role does that does packaging play in that component of how your product gets sold and how you guys go to market? 
Well, I, I think you, you, you hit on a, a very interesting subject matter. The, uh, when, to go back to Starkey for a second here in kind of our decision-making is that Starkey is a geothermal hot spring store. So it's actually coming out of the ground at 134 degrees. We're not, we're not piping down to the water. We're not depleting an aquifer. It's a, it's a natural process where the water uh, seeps through the, the, the layers of the earth for 11 to 16,000 years. Uh, it's originally snow and, um, and rain melt that, snow mountain rain that seeps uh, two and a half miles deep, gets heated up by the earth's core and comes back to the surface. So our whole process of capturing the water is, uh, is kind of a very sustainable and natural process. Uh, we're not depleting a aquifer or anything like that. So we kind of wanted to, to showcase the amazing attributes of this water. As you mentioned there, we are spring water, which separates us as, as in, in the industry. We're lightly mineralized. We are naturally high, high alkaline water. So being that we have these very unique properties to our water and uh, we have a very unique water source, we wanted to translate that into our packaging Glass um, has a lot of um, a lot of things that that we like. One with glass is that glass just doesn't impart a taste into the product. And with water, water is something that the little, the smallest introduction of anything to it is going to add a flavor to it. And we don't want that. And we think we have one of the most delicious waters to drink in the world. So we wanted to have it in glass, so we didn't impart a flavor. And we also, uh, we, we wanted glass because of the environmental uh, impact and the recyclability of, of glass um, compared to uh, PET. Um, we, we felt that in the industry, if you watch the, um, the trajectory of it, more and more of uh, your consumers are becoming educated on packaging, um, your customers being your retailers are trying to shift towards uh, cleaner packaging a lot of the times. Um, but then again, with uh, higher quality packaging like glass comes a higher price point. And that's one of the other hard sides of all this is that um, you've, got, you've got certain of your, your big titans of the industry that can pump bottled water out quickly in cheaper packaging. And so you, you have your different levels of consumers, those that are really looking at the quality of the water and the and, and, and the content of the water. And those people that are just looking just to have something to hydrate them in that moment um, that are less conscious about that decision-making. But being that we kind of are focusing more on um, uh, showcasing our, our product at a premium level, we felt like glass was the perfect fit for it. Yeah, th no, that makes, that makes sense. Um, this isn't, uh, I hope this doesn't come across. This is a, it's a genuine question. I hope it doesn't come across as like, I gotcha question, right? Um, have, and feel free to say, no, we've never done this. Cause I haven't actually talked to anybody who's done this. Have you guys done, um, any type of life cycle analysis, uh, for carbon impact on glass versus PET? Um, I've, I've asked that before and I'm, I haven't gotten an answer yet. So it's, it's more just curiosity if that's something that you guys have done. Cause I hear it a lot, but I, but then I just don't know. It's like, yes, glass is obviously recyclable. PET is also recyclable. You know, you're putting water into it. I totally get the decisions from a packaging standpoint. Like I didn't actually think about the impartation of taste. Um, and are, are you saying that PET has an opportunity to impart taste? What's the difference? Yeah. 
Sorry, I'll get to the LCA question here in a second, but that's that's the difference is glass keeps it cleaner. Well, the taste profile. Again, glass will will keep it cleaner. I mean, you look at you look at uh, spirits, you look at you know vodka or, or or most any spirit out there. They're using glass for a reason. Is is that when you when you think about uh, plastic, sometimes it can leach into the water. Um, I'm no expert in this field, so sure. I don't claim to be. But I just know that when it comes down to um, uh, my personal uh, experience, you leave a bottle of water hot in your car on a hot summer day mm. and you go to drink out of it later and it can taste like plastic. Now, if you're using a higher quality plastic PET, um, you can you can kind of get away from plastics that leach into the product. Right. Um, and for us, we do offer one PET product in our lineup and it, it is BPA free, PFAS free, uh, free which is a, a big subject matter in the industry right now. Um, so you, you can, but then that comes with a higher premium. Uh, so for us, packaging is, is an expensive component. We could have gotten a lot cheaper. We could use a lot cheaper, a lower quality plastic. We could have not done the glass uh, as, as our main packaging uh, and lowered our packaging costs, but that comes with a, a, a detrimental side in our mind to, to not being kind of the um, and you got to keep in mind here, a lot of the guys that, that work with me, they're hunters and fishermen. I mean, we really, all of us, we care about what we're doing as far as the environmental impact. So um, I think it just kind of comes down to what is the priority of, of certain um, companies and mm -hmm. there's no right or wrong the way I look at it. But, but for us, we, it was a no brainer that we were going to go um, in an in a area that's sustainable and keeps the quality of our product at, at a premium. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, do you hear from your from your consumers um, at all about the reusability? Reuse has become a really big topic of your glass. So, um, you know, I like for example, I know that I have like I, I have uh, some Starkey water here in the in the background. So I've got there you this. go. Yep. I've got, I've got a bottle back there. I've reused it now three or four times. Yeah. Um, do you hear that a lot where uh, somebody is just filling, like if, if I have to really quickly fill it up in my, at my house that I just keep reusing the same glass bottle. Do you guys oh. encourage that? Is that part of the decision-making? Without a doubt. Uh, I, I appreciate you bringing that up. We want people reusing these bottles. We, we don't want it to be a one-time drink the starkey water inside of it and, and, and toss into the recycling. We want it to be um, reuse. I have one on my desk right here, actually, and I do the same thing at home. I will uh, put filtered water inside of this and, and continually reuse this bottle. Uh, the, we don't get a lot of feedback, though, from the consumers as much um, about this, but we hope, our hope is that people are making the conscious choice to reuse these bottles over and over again. Have you ever looked into the, a program like uh, like loop where they are doing, it's, it's almost like a, it's like the milkman is what it is where somebody gets done. They put their glass bottles in, it goes through a, you know, a, a sterilization process and then it gets refilled so that your, your glass stays in a, in kind of a closed circular loop for as long as it possibly can. Have you guys ever explored anything like that? Um, it's, it's catching on with like Haagen-Dazs did one, 
recently a, a whole program. It's catching on with some larger brands. I'm sure there's many more of them, but. Yeah, you know, we lightly um, touch on this matter. One of the hardest things is um, one of the, the detrimental sides to glass is it's heavy. And so for you to be able to have it shipped back um, sometimes can just be more ex- over like the expense of it. it it's just, really expensive. Yeah, it, it is, you know, and, yep. and especially in the water industry, we're not talking about big margins. I mean, it's more about volume than, than um, making a lot off a bottle. So right now, I think for us, right, uh, we have not seen that as being something that we could potentially put in play right now. It seems sure. just very, uh, it, it'd be a very big task to try to take on and I would love to see if other companies in our, in our sector of the industry could could find ways to do this and that way we could learn from kind of the bigger players. I think it would be really cool if that could grow over time and, and become a thing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's It's been within the packaging industry, um, it's it started sort of started off as this like, so this guy, Tom Zaki, who runs uh, Loop and TerraCycle, he wrote a book about it. He used, you know, worked with a bunch of authors called The Future of Packaging. And I've mentioned it, I don't know how many times. I should probably get royalties at this point in time because I mentioned it so much. But uh, the, the philosophy and the principle around it has been so interesting. And then you start to see these big companies that begin to do things with it. And you're like, oh, that's, that's fat. Like, and I've, I've actually never asked anybody in the water industry. So this is my first question. Um, because it just becomes this fascinating sort of thought process to, to sort of tease out. And yeah, again, it does come down to cost becomes a, a reality. You have the carbon impact of shipping heavy glass bottles from wherever they are all the way back to Idaho. Yeah. Or they have all got to go to some processing facility and they get repalletized. And um, so there's a whole bunch of conversations. There's a whole bunch of questions I have around that for, you know, for whomever decides to do it. But it is a, it is a trend that we're beginning to see um, more and more frequently. So it's been interesting to watch. And I think that if a product originates in a big metropolitan where, you know, most of your, your product is being distributed in a, in a small radius, I could see that uh, being more easy to approach than when our, when our bottles are being sent all over the U S to try to get them back would be, would be a real challenge. Yeah. Yeah. That would be tough. Um, all right. And then in terms of the, uh, so you, you kind of talked a little bit about the water and so this is a little bit of a deviation from packaging, but this is a totally selfish question that I legitimately have no idea. What is the benefit to like, you guys talk about like the alkaline, uh, in the water, um, to somebody who's totally naive to this. I'm just like, I want to drink water. I drink water. And I think coffee sort of counts. Um, I do. I do love coffee. And you, and I'm like, it's 98.8% water. It's fine. Uh, but what's, what's the, like, what do I gain when I'm drinking um, your water versus like filtered water from my refrigerator? What, what, what's the difference? Yeah, that, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, one thing to put out there, I, I definitely don't want to ever make claims and we don't make claims around our water. Um, yeah. And alkaline, I think, is something that you're touching on that has a lot of information out there and whether or not the uh, there's science behind all of it, you know, that's that's always a question mark about the claims being made. Um, but to kind of start off with filtered water, 
Um, filtered, you know, tap water alone can have a lot of uh, different, depending on where you live in the country, can vary drastically in, in sure. quality and what's, what's kind of broken down on the million and billion level, parts per billion level in the water. Um, so, so you can get some things in your water content through your, your, your municipal water that's just not ideal to be consumed. When you look at um, a lot of filtered water, filtered water a lot of times is just stripping it of everything. And so you're getting water, but you're not getting the minerals. And one of the great things for your body with, with spring water, uh, and this is a lot bigger in Europe, the trend in the US uh, by the consumer is not the same as, as on the European level of really looking at spring water and, 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 and kind of a, it's just more in, in their, um, their history. They've been around uh, spring water longer. And so, but in the US, um, one of the things about spring water uh, that I think consumers are realizing more and more, it's a way to get minerals into the body that are beneficial minerals. Um, so I think one of the things that uh, by consuming spring water is you're getting, you're getting um, great quality minerals. When you're talking about alkalinity, alkalinity all has to do again to, because of the minerals, a lot of times when you add minerals to water, it, it increases your, your alkalinity, which is uh, the higher on the pH scale you go, the more neutral and the lower, the more acidic. Mm. And so some of the ideas behind alkalinity, which again, we don't make claims by any means on this, but there's a lot of studies going back that um, a lot of uh, the horrible diseases that can exist in our bodies, uh, like cancer, for example, thrive in acidic environments and don't, don't survive or don't do well in alkaline environments. So, so um, a lot, there's people out there that try to uh, neutralize their body to try to help prevent free radicals. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Um, now, when you're consuming water, what not necessarily do that? That's the question is that your stomach has a lot of acids in it. So anything that goes in your, your stomach, the acids are going to change the, the pH, the alkalinity of, of that whatever's in your stomach. So will actually a change in your body? That's a good question, Mark. But there is, um, there is a big bandwagon that, that feels that by drinking alkaline water, is, it's a step towards better health. Got it. Got it. Okay. Uh, that uh, I, I didn't. I guess I didn't realize what I was, what can of worms I might've been opening up with that, but I appreciate you. That was, it was, it was helpful. Um, well, my final question and these, uh, these interviews are one of the pure joys of my life. I, I love doing them and the time always goes quickly. I just looked at the clock. I was like, Oh gosh, we've been talking for a while. Uh, so, uh, my final question is this. So as a, everybody is a packaging buyer, every single person that I know buys and interacts with packaging on some level. Mm -hmm. And so we're all involved in the industry. And so everybody basically has an opinion about this. And so I, I'm curious to get yours. You work for a company that is environmentally you know, conscious and, and wants to do as little harm as possible as you can. Um, you know, you're, you're, you've got this cool perspective Grew up in Baton Rouge, but you're living in, you lived in Boulder and all this stuff. So uh, I'm really excited to hear what your answer is. So you, you have the ability to fix something about anything, anything you want about the packaging industry. There's no, 
focus groups that have to be formed. There's no uh, Zoom meetings for eight, you know, eight weeks in a row that you have to get on nothing. You just go snap your finger and it's gone. It's fixed. Uh, so I'm curious, what is that thing or things that you would love to see just instantly fixed about the packaging industry? Well, that's a very in-depth question. And uh, I think there's a, a number of avenues one could go with this question. Um, I think one of the things for me is that it uh, goes back to how I started this is I, I learned a lot working in Whole Foods about conscious decision-making as a consumer. Um, I bring reusable shopping bags when I go grocery shop and I make that small decision there. So for me, um, I think one of the biggest uh, challenges is the in consumers, um, getting them educated at a higher level about how their decision-making of buying products and packaging. And to your point, we would love people to reuse our glass bottles over and over again. And that's a conscious decision-making. So for the packaging world, I think a lot of it comes down to, we don't do a good enough job um, educating our, our population, particularly in the United States around recycling and, 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 and how to be more conscious about their decision-making. And, and I probably wouldn't be thinking in this platform had I not moved to Boulder and started working for the companies that I do now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a, so it's almost like, uh, I'm, I'm thinking of like, I am envisioning you as like professor X from the X-Men and you've, you've put on the helmet and you've rolled yourself into the, the place where you're connected to everyone's minds and you just impart to them the, the consciousness of their decision-making around the packaging that they buy and the brands that they support. Um, not, you're, you're, not, you're, not, uh, you're not telling them what brands to support, but you're, you're saying, hey, this is good and this is bad and it's very clear and it's very concise. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I, I believe that educating um, the consumer is, is really the biggest step for uh, sustainable packaging to grow because sustainable packaging only is, is, is becoming trend, is trending and will only grow if it, there's a demand by the consumer for it. Mm -hmm. And if the demand's not there, then companies aren't going to make those, um, those decisions because a lot of the time with sustainability does cost come with a higher price point for for the manufacturer. Um, so I think there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a lot of ways to answer the question that you just presented. I think it's a wonderful question, but I do, I do think if I could focus on anything, it would be taking your, your, your average American and giving them more resources to knowing about how they can make subtle um, uh, decisions throughout their life involved in purchasing products with more sustainable packaging, recycling those products in the proper way, things like that, because without that, none of this really matters. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. Well, uh, Brian, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you and to, uh, you know, find Starkey products? Uh, what's, uh, what, what does that look like? Is it, uh, you know, LinkedIn email, what's the best way? Yeah, Adam, I, um, Anyone's happy to reach me through my LinkedIn if, if you want to tie that at all to this uh, podcast. Yeah, I can uh, do that. They're, they're happy to reach me uh, through my LinkedIn. Um, and also, if you're interested in purchasing Starkey Spring Water and, and giving our water a try, uh, you can find us nationally in Whole Foods Market. Um, we are in a number of other 
uh, outlets, but Whole Foods is by far our, our, our biggest customer. So I encourage someone to go out and give us a try. Awesome. Well, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. It's been, it was super insightful and uh, it's great to have met you and chatted with you on this podcast. Thanks for having me on, Adam.